Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Discover the power within Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show, and today our topic is Yoga and Ayurveda, a Sacred Relationship. I'm delighted to be joined today by Mas Vidal, who is a teacher of yoga and Ayurveda, and who integrates a background of athletics, therapeutics, science, and ecology into a dynamic synthesis that has led him to become an innovative voice in the field of integral yoga and Ayurveda. Mas Vidal offers certification and educational programs internationally and maintains an active counseling practice that embraces Vedanta, yoga, I'm sorry, Vedanta, Ayurveda, and Vedic astrology. He follows the lineages of Paramahansa Yogananda of the Self-Realization Fellowship and Swami Jyotirmayananda of Shivananda lineage. He's the author of the book we're going to be discussing today, Sun, Moon, Earth, The Sacred Relationship of Yoga and Ayurveda. His website is dancingshiva.com. Again, dancingshiva.com. And you can find him on Facebook at Dancing. Shiva, except the I in Shiva is replaced by a one. So dancing SH1 VA yoga and on Twitter at dancing Shiva LA. Welcome, Masvidal. I'm delighted you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. Good morning. Yeah. So before we begin our conversation about the sacred relationship of yoga and Ayurveda, let's begin with a moment of centering, just a moment to fully arrive. So let's begin by just feeling our body in space, whatever we're doing, whether we're standing, walking, sitting, just feeling our body feeling the surfaces that support our body and then turning our attention to the breath, just noticing, noticing as we inhale and exhale, not changing the natural rhythm of the breathing, but just noticing cool air as it enters the nostrils, and warm air flowing out.
And let's imagine as we breathe, as we follow our breathing, that with every inhale, we can dive within. And with every exhale, we can relax as we allow our attention to fall from our head down into our heart. Just being, just breathing. And as we do this, we may notice thoughts or feelings as they arise. And we realize we can just, just watch them, just observe, watch them as they arise and watch them as they pass away. Anchored in the essence of our being that essence that's the source and substance of all that is. Feeling it within us, between us and all around us. And then allowing that centeredness that peace to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. And as we bring this meditative moment, this yoga moment to a close, let's remember that this peace that we feel is always available to us. It's a portable peace, as Yogananda described it. Let's take it with us into our day and share it with all we meet. Oh. Once again, Masvidal, welcome to the Yoga Hour. I've really been enjoying reading your book, Sun, Moon, Earth, the Sacred Relationship of Yoga and Ayurveda. So how did you first become involved with yoga and Ayurveda? Well, I um, was initially introduced to it through Yogananda's teachings. Um, Yogananda had a very strong relationship with nature and healing and wellness and curative practices. And I wanted to know more about what was behind this this teaching and this methodology. And um, I came across some of the um, teachings that Shivananda uh, expressed and um, because he was one of the earliest sort of revivers, you could say, or proponents of yoga and Ayurveda as a medical doctor. He had a clinic and dispensary at his ashram in northern India in Rishikesh. Mm -hmm. And he actually wrote an early book um, that explained the sort of synthesis um, between these two systems. Mm. And then later in the late 90s, um, David Frawley, Vamadeva Shastri, uh, wrote a book called Yoga and Ayurveda as well. And that finally... Um, 
confirmed for me the importance of these two systems. And mm -hmm. I, at that point, um, was probably a, a big turning point in my own life um, where I just really linked with my dharma and I mm -hmm. wanted to dedicate the rest of my life to teaching the synthesis of these two systems or traditions. Mm, that's just a lovely, lovely story. Thank you for that. So turning to your own book, uh, what inspired you to write it? Well, I felt that a lot of people were also interested or become more interested in yoga and Ayurveda over the years. I see a lot of people doing yoga but I've realized that yoga alone is not enough. Yeah. Um, there are also a lot of people doing different healing practices and those healing systems, even Ayurveda alone is not enough. Mm -hmm. And unless we unite them together as a universal, holistic, integral approach to wellness, um, it'll lead to nowhere. And mm -hmm. um, writing this book for me was... Uh, it was a great challenge because these are two enormous sciences. They're two um, very broad traditions, and I wanted to present them in a way that was very palatable and that that the reader and the the sadak, the aspirant, could could digest very easily, but at the same time begin to look at ways that they themselves, could start to reform their lives. Mm -hmm. Well, that's again just a you know great inspiration, great answer. Thank you. So the title of the book is Sun, Moon, Earth. So and and you actually weave those you know those three things, Sun, Moon, and Earth, throughout the book. But mm -hmm. I thought I'd give you a moment just to say uh, to ask you about the significance you know of those three in regards to the book. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, the reason I chose that is because I often tell people that these traditions weren't invented or created by any one living individual. These traditions are born of the vibration and the cycles of the sun, the moon, and the earth. Mm -hmm. Why we exist on this planet and why there's life on this planet largely depends on the relationship that those three planets share in their movement, in their cycles, in the way that they interact and coexist with each other. And so when we look at the soul, the soul is, represents the, the sun. Mm -hmm. And the sun is that symbol of our search, the very essence of our seeking. In every human being, there exists a desire, a craving, a search for the one. Okay. That, that craving and that yearning for truth, for God realization, whatever it is, comes from the magnetic force, the magnetic pull that the sun creates on the planet Earth as they exchange their movement cycles. Okay. The movement of the moon represents nature. It represents fertility. It represents life itself. And the closest relationship that the Earth has with any planet is with the moon because it is the closest planet to the Earth. Hence, 
we see that relationship exists between mother and child. The mother is the moon, the child is the earth. The mother always has the closest bond to the child. The father plays a more distant role. So the moon is the closest planet to the earth, hence we're very much influenced by the movement of the moon, the tides, the seasons, the menstrual cycle, and the whole capacity for a woman to be fertile depends on her individual relationship with the moon. So as you've already mentioned, uh, your book is, uh, you know, looks, well, the title even says, uh, it's a detailed look at yoga and Ayurveda and how they support and complement each other. So, so I wanted to ask you more about that. So mm-hmm. what, what does the practice of Ayurveda bring to people who are practicing yoga? Well, a couple of things. One, Ayurveda teaches us to live in relationship with nature. This is a great structure or backbone, you could say, or cornerstone that helps us to develop in a holistic and a very thorough way using the yoga system, using the yoga techniques, meditation and mantras and breath work and all the postures and all that. Those things become effective when the individual has cultivated a sound relationship with nature. What does that mean? Well, that relationship exists between the mind and the body. Okay, that means that we're listening to our body. We're connected to what the body's doing. And the body is functioning in relationship to the various cycles that Ayurveda teaches us about. There are daily cycles. There are yearly cycles that we know as the seasons, the four Mm -hmm. seasons. And there are life cycles. And these cycles actually connect to psycho-spiritual or psychosocial cycles or periods that exist in yoga. For example, the period of the four seasons um, can be equated to the four yugas or the four planetary um, cycles of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so there's these cycles exist as a, as, a, as a part of these movements that the planets create for us and then we have to abide by them so this is where the relationship exists we there's a relationship that's there but we've lost that relationship you know societies have gone to a materialistic um, bent and they're focused on work and attaining tangible things but they don't realize that there's a force there's an energy that upholds all of living existence all the planets, all the animals, and every living individual is being guided by these forces. And to think that we live independently or separately of these forces is completely blind, is completely mm-hmm. ignorant, which is, which is the basis of the, of the Raja Yoga tradition, which Patanjali says that the, the root cause of all suffering begins with avidya mm-hmm. what it what is avidya ignoring vidya a vidya ignoring what wisdom 
there is an inherent wisdom and there is a way to connect with that wisdom mm-hmm. and i your veda i your meaning the way of veda knowledge mm-hmm. we have to learn the way of knowledge and then yoga can be a very effective system for spiritual evolution right which touches on you know what i was going to ask you know the question in the other way so what is the practice of um of yoga bring to the practice of ayurveda well yoga is a system um and i'm sure many of your speakers and your hosts you yourself know that is is here to help us to do what to yug to unite to mm-hmm. unite with what exactly the, the essence of our existence right mm-hmm. um and that's the soul that's what we really are we're not the mind we're not the body mm-hmm. so yoga is, is doing that is teaching us how to unite with that however if we don't have balance if we don't have harmony or some some type of management over these doshas these forces of nature then we create obstacles we create hindrances to our capacity for those techniques for yoga to to work and to for yoga to be effective mm-hmm. and that's why ayurveda was designed they were both part of the same root mm-hmm. they were originally part of one unified tradition but as we went through the dark ages of human consciousness this relationship with nature this relationship with why we have a mind and a body was lost mm-hmm. and now we're in an ascending age people are beginning to wake up people want more than just a good car and money and a insurance policy and a mm-hmm. savings account that's a given these days most everyone has that i mean i'm being you know to, to a certain degree but now they have those things but yet they're not content they're not exactly because contentment can't you know can't come through those temporary things as you know one of the one of the three um practices main practices of kriya yoga as laid out in the yoga sutras you know is is uh is that uh, self study you know and so noticing like when you are drawn you know to something a new car it's time to get a new car we've all had that right you know where you're excited you get the new car it's beautiful it's shiny you know and then you know then it begins to deteriorate you know you're in your first little fender bender you know <laughs> different <laughs> things have might get stolen you know and so is the happiness is the car causing the happiness no at that point the car is the sadness you know so yeah you know with the self study we begin to see that cycle and it's that way with with everything everything that's temporary in the outside world has that cycle of you know of um not being able to be the source of our happiness and I just wanted to make one other comment which was when you were talking about you know the spiritual you know aspect um you know yogacharya o'brien has said and I know I've heard it from other spiritual teachers as well you know we are spiritual beings having a human experience we're not human beings having a spiritual experience it's the other way around we're spiritual beings and we're having a human experience so yes um so uh in in the title of your book even you mention this word sacred so why do you call the relationship between yoga and ayurveda sacred because this relationship stems from a great tradition 
that we know was once called Sanatana Dharma. Mm -hmm. And this comes from the word Sanatana, which means eternal. Mm -hmm. Thus meaning it has no beginning and has no end. And so this explains the nature of our existence, that our existence has no beginning and has no end. The life of the body and the life that we live within time and space consciousness has beginning and end, mm -hmm. but that isn't the real essence of our life. Mm -hmm. Our life is truly an eternal one, meaning that we are part of a vast consciousness that upholds all of life, all of existence. And these are just, these lives that we live are like images or different um, reflections of the light mm -hmm. that are constantly changing. You know, um, Swami Jyotir Mayanand often says that, you know, if you put water in a, in a, in a cup, and you just let that water exist. Well, the water is there. It's, it's, it's bound by the cup. But now when water shines upon that cup, that light reflects and refracts outward. And now you start to see reflections of that water in different areas around the cup. And our life is very much a part of one of those reflections. But we, what we don't realize is that we, what we are is not the water in the cup, not that, that which we contain inside of this physical fleshy body, but we're the light, the source mm -hmm. that is reflecting light into all different aspects, people, nature, animals, and the beauty that we see mm -hmm. in this world is that same light it's the divine light no exactly <clears throat> exactly and uh and isn't it wonderful you know to be in the world and to view it in that sacred that sacred way you know as yeah. uh as the um you know seeing behind it you know the divine and all that we meet as i was saying in the uh, uh meditation you know it's within us between us and all around us and isn't that amazing <laughs> when we can look at the world that way so um one of the things i i really appreciate about ayurveda and particularly as a western trained physician is that ayurveda looks at each person as unique and personalizes the recommendations based on one's constitutional type mm -hmm. um so I did want to, I know not all of our listeners are familiar with Ayurveda, so I wanted to give, um, have you give us a little overview of those three constitutional types um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the vata, pitta, and kapha, because I do want to ask you more in the second half of the show about, you know, particular things about, um, about those types. So I thought maybe we'd start with a little overview. Sure, sure. That's a great question. Why Ayurveda is so important, as you said, is that it recognizes that every single human being is unique, is distinct. And how, where does that begin? Well, Ayurveda recognizes that when we are born, the moment that we come into this world, we, in a healthy way, normally would come in with the head first. We come out of the womb, we, the head exits, the um, 
vaginal area, and we take a breath. At that point in time, that birth time marks the recognition of this unique body that we have, this unique personality. And the sign that exists in the eastern horizon gives predominance of influence to that body and that personality. What do I mean by the sign? I mean that there are 12 signs in the zodiac. This is the same astral sort of system that that we we know in the west 12 signs 12 months and that sign influences the body and i would often refer to that as your earth your ecology that's your rising sign now also at the same time at, at birth we have the moon in a specific position and when we look at the moon we see how the moon affects our mind our emotions, our sensitivities, our affinities, and the things that we're drawn to. And so that sign tells us a lot about our mental nature, and that will reflect in that disposition that we have mentally. And then, so, Moss, we'd only have about one more minute before the break, just as okay. a heads up. Okay, great. Thank you. And then there is a sun sign, and that sun tells us the placement of that sun at the time of birth tells us a lot about how we seek our soul. And so those three, rising, moon, and sun, basically indicate for us these three forces in Ayurveda that we know as air, as vata, fire, pitta, and water, kapha. And those three forces are influenced and linked to the earth, to the sun, and to the moon. And so that specific timing determines how we manage and how we're made up of in different and varying degrees, air, vata, fire, pitta, and water, kapha. And from there, Ayurveda begins the teaching of how you specifically are to manage your lifestyle, your diet, your yoga, and your relationship in this world, depending on how you... And with that, we've got to stop till the uh, till the break. So uh, you're listening to The Yoga Hour with our guest, Moss Vidal, uh, author of the book we're talking about today, The Sacred Relationship... I'm sorry, Sun, Moon, Earth, The Sacred Relationship of Yoga and Ayurveda. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show. We'll be right back after the break. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour. Living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to The Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the show, and I'm here today with yoga and Ayurveda teacher, Moss Vidal. Um, and 
Moss offers certification and educational programs internationally, and he maintains an active counseling practice that embraces Vedanta, Ayurveda, and Vedic astrology. So Moss, um, during the break there, just that minute or two that we had off, um, we were once again uh, talking about the book, and you were mentioning that uh, that chapter on yoga therapy. And I, I just was thought it was so lovely what you just said. So t- just let's recap that conversation for our listeners. So what um, what is that yoga therapy chapter about? Where does it come from? Yeah. So there, as you know, this, this term yoga therapy has become you know, very mainstream now, and there's been a growing interest in yoga as a therapeutic um, systems. And um, one of the things that I found interesting is that as we talked, you know, a lot of people use yoga for their body, for I want to be more flexible. I want to, you know, I want to look better. Uh, The funny thing is that any use of yoga in a therapeutic way is actually Ayurveda. Mm. There is no book, there is no teaching that yoga ever presented of using yoga as a therapeutic practice. However, in the recent times, um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, as a result of trying to overcome and win over colonial rule in India, a lot of the great leaders during that time, Tagore, Yogananda, Gandhi, and many of the great yogis of that time wanted to revive and restore moral strength in the country and connect them back to their tradition. And what they did was to turn to yoga, the postural yoga in particular, as their form of exercise to reconnect the society that had been lost their health and lost their wellness connect them to their bodies, build up that body strength, build up that moral strength. And this led to the overcoming of British rule in India. And Yogananda was one of the early proponents. Paramahansa Yogananda was in India until 1920. He had opened a a school in Dikha and then later moved it to uh, Ranchi uh, between the years of 1916 and 1920. And there he taught postural yoga, and he taught his unique system of yoga called Yogoda, the Yogoda system. Right. And and he explained there and um, a lot of how these postures, how pranayama, and how transcending the consciousness. That means trans- teaching people how to use postures, how to use breath work, and concentration and subtle techniques to transcend the senses. That means that we change a person's outlook, we change a person's attitude, and internalize that attitude where? Towards the spine, towards the true essence of their existence. In that process, in that returning back to the internal self, the real self, that in itself, create a therapeutic capacity for healing. 
Yeah. So in other words, turning, yeah. you know, toward the spiritual is actually kind of the source of the, you know, the healing, you know, process. That, That's what that. we were talking about over the break, which I just thought was great. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> there's so much richness in your book about the relationship between yoga and Ayurveda that was really difficult for me to choose a few things to discuss. But um, I did find your recommendations for how each dosha should practice yoga very helpful. Um, so for those who have primarily a vata constitution with the primary element of air, how do you recommend that they practice yoga postures or asana? And this is on one night, page 197 of your book, if you have your book. I don't know if you okay, do. <laughs> well, you know, so with air dominant constitutions or people that tend to be a bit thinner, more sensitive, more restless, we, we recommend the opposite. And this is the basis for allopathy, as you know. Okay. If 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 the body is this way, we want them to do more grounding poses. So we always recommend floor poses where their feet are not pressed to the ground. That means they're on their knees, they're seated. Why? Because when we bring the body and the mind in closer proximity to actual earth, that bond is there and you're creating that grounding, that calming nature that is so important to vata dosha types because they're restless. They feel unsettled. They feel anxious. They feel nervous. When you do bow pose, when you do hip openers or the lunging positions that we see in the Surya Namaskar, the sun salutation series, all those postures help to open the hips. They help to release blockages in the area below the navel and down to the base of the spine, where vata, where this air gets accumulated and creates this, this unsettled energy. And we can see that connection to the first two chakras in those areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how about for those who are primarily pitta with the fire element as the primary element in their constitution? How should yes. they practice, practice yoga? Yeah, and yoga for these, asana, I should say, yoga postures. Yeah, yoga postures. Well, and, and, and it's not just limited to when we recommend postures, we're also using that term as a metaphor, okay? Mm -hmm. What we're saying is, is that posture is not to be taken as a literal position. This is the very kindergarten approach that we've seen in modern commercial yoga. So these postures are to be archetypes and metaphors for how you approach these practices and the lifestyle that you live. So the, the pitta postures, so to speak, are to create an attitude of moderation. Mm -hmm. to create an attitude or an approach that you, when you do these postures of surrender, of detachment. Why? Because these people are fiery. They overdo things. They tend to burn themselves out. They tend mm -hmm. to, you know, go to the full extreme. Well, we teach do twisting postures. Just relax a bit. Release tension from your life. Detach a little bit. And this is the higher metaphorical or what we would say allegorical application of, of postures for vata and for pitta types. And, and for the kapha, I'll just keep going. We want these individuals 
that tend to be of a heavier nature, that tend to be a bit more sedentary, we want them to, to take risks. We want them to get up and make a difference in their life and, and to try and make changes in their life and to be a little bit more confident, proactive. And so we're not recommending just the literal standing poses or the balancing poses for them that do create more heat, but we want them to look at that as stand up, do something about your life, make a difference and create heat in your life and create a fervor that creates change in your life. And that attitude will give you the confidence to look beyond the limitations of names and forms. Dude, each dosha is not only a physical hindrance, but it's a psychological hindrance that we create by attaching our attitude and our thinking to various names and forms. I am this, I am that. And Ayurveda teaches us to psychologically overcome these limitations and go beyond name and form. Remember, these aren't just literal physical forces that create a physical body, a type of body. It's a, also a limitation in the way that we look at our true existence as a living soul, as a light of eternal consciousness. Mm. Yeah, that's just really beautifully said. Thank you. So um, <clears throat> there's a whole chapter in the book on Vedic lifestyle. And um, <clears throat> I just, you know, have found this uh, Ayurveda teaching to be um, so helpful um, in understanding, um, beginning to understand my own constitution and the things that are, that, that everything in the world, you know, has these qualities. And so by our actions, we are either helping to bring ourselves into balance or, you know, helping to bring ourselves out of balance, <laughs> um, sure. you know, one way or the other. And, um, and so this idea of, of uh, a lifestyle and a routine is something that um, I, I think is a, is just a, a gift that Ayurveda gives us. So um, as you mentioned earlier on, uh, there are daily and there are seasonal cycles. Um, so talking about the daily cycles, mm -hmm. um, how do the doshas relate to times of day? And maybe why, why is it important to understand that? Yes, yeah, so the, the doshas relate to th create three periods in, in the day cycle. The morning period between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. is governed by the element of water. The, the uh, or kapha dosha, that means it's a heavier period where our metabolism is slower, we're a little bit more sluggish in our, in our mentality. And then from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. is the fire period or pitta dosha where we're more active, we're more driven, our, our, our appetite increases. And then from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. is the water dosha, the air element, where we become a little bit more restless, a little bit more uh, blown around by the activities of the day. And so the vata dosha, the wind, becomes predominant during that period. And so what Ayurveda does is recommends very specific things like drink a warm spiced chai uh, in the mornings. This will help the kapha period. In the middle of the day, since the fire is high, 
don't do more to make the fire higher, but do something like maybe meditate, sit quietly, read, um, go for a light walk, you know, relax after your meal, after you have lunch, lay in the left lateral position, which is very helpful because it releases pressure from the liver and helps remove promote digestion. And then in the in the vata period, we want to do something calming. We want to do something grounding that reconnects the person to their body. Like maybe get a massage in the late afternoon. Um, do some breath work. Maybe do a round of mantra. Uh, these are the ways that we balance the day according to Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. As part of this chapter, you also include many practices to incorporate, you know, into a daily routine or, or uh, dinacharya. So, for someone who doesn't currently have a daily routine, what is the best place to begin? What would you recommend? Well, first of all, I would say that simplify your life. We live in a very complex time in society. And in order to practice Ayurveda, you have to have time. You have to make time. You have to create time in your schedule because these things take time. And self-care takes time. I often say this. We don't come to Ayurveda and yoga when we have time. We come to these traditions because it is the most important time of our lives. Why? Because we're here to evolve as souls. Our purpose as living souls, as living lights on this planet, is to live in the light, in relationship to the light. Where does that light exist? It exists in nature. It exists in the plants. And People don't even have time to cook for themselves these days. They rush. They eat their meals in front of a computer. They skip meals because they're spending so much time looking at a computer or a phone. And what the greatest message, the simplest message of Ayurveda is slow down. Mm. So we've mentioned that, you know, in addition to these daily cycles, that Ayurveda recognizes where, you know, one of these elements is, is uh, prominent. One of these doshas is prominent. There are also seasonal cycles and it occurs to me, it's now the very end of August and we're going to be heading into the fall season in just a few weeks. So can you tell us a little bit about the fall and what adjustments we should be considering as we head into the fall? Yes. So these seasonal cycles are very important. And I often say that it it really begins with a cultural revolution, that we have to begin to change our culture and our relationship to nature rather than doing just a literal, you know, simple little practice for the fall. We have to change our attitude with these seasons and connect with the vibration of the season. So what is the fall? Well, we know that there are solstices, two, winter and summer, and there are equinoxes. And the fall equinox represents a shift in weather. It represents a 
a literal fall, right? We call it fall, don't we? Where does that word come from? Well, things begin to fall. What falls? The leaves on the mm -hmm. trees begin to fall. And what happens to the light energy? Well, the light, the sun in the sky begins its southern course after June, after the summer solstice, that sun, that light begins to fall in the sky. And where does it begin to go? Well, it begins to go down and this changes our nature. And so the winter, the, the fall time, using that word as a metaphor means to come down, to slow down right? Fall. Slow down and come where? Fall down. Get connected to what? Fall down to the earth and reground yourself by connecting with the earth and slowing down. And this is, this pattern is developed by, by planetary cycles that are created and so each season then we get it to the winter and then there's but the, it's a huge conversation but i would say this to all of you listening is begin to connect with the energies of each season and i want you to recognize that each season has a vibration and that vibration is one that you need to link to and connect to and even in looking at the words like fall or winter, all of these seasons are created by a shift in the sun and the moon relationship. And that same shift is happening inside of your body. If you don't feel that, you're experiencing mind-body fragmentation. You're You've broken that relationship between mind and body. What is that? Between mother and child, moon and earth. And, and on a larger, in a, in a grander scale, you've broken your relationship between your earth and moon and the sun, your soul. And remember that the moon and the earth spin around each other, but they together also spin around a grander force. And what is that grander force? It is the soul. Our body and our mind depend on a grander force that is within us. And we call it the soul, the light of our existence. Follow your truth. Follow your purpose. Follow your bliss. Listen to the light. Feel the light. Live in, in, in relationship to your light. As the moon and the earth do every year, they go around that grand light we call the soul. If they didn't, what would happen on this planet earth if suddenly God says, you know what, I'm going to change the moon's pattern and the earth's pattern and let's see what happens to the world. Yeah. <laughs> chaos, more chaos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So another section that I really enjoyed in the book, um, you give uh, many daily tune-ups as part of your, you know, section on the Vedic lifestyle. Um, and really, you know, some suggestions about how to integrate practices into our daily routine. So can you share just one idea about what might be a mini daily tune-up? You know, in other words, you know, not just limiting our practice to um, sitting on a meditation cushion or, you know, being on a yoga mat, but um, how do we bring this, uh, how do we bring this into, fully into our lives? 
Yeah, there's so many things to do, but I would say that um, a couple of things are very important relative to the mind-body relationship. One is with food, is the relationship that we share with food is something that everybody has. Everybody has a relationship with food, right? We all have to eat. Right. And and one of the things that I love about Ayurveda in this regard is that it looks at food as God itself. We recognize that the goddess Annapurna abides in food and she brings food to us. And I would say to everyone, before recognize that that food is a gift of God. It's a gift of divinity into your life. Sit with it. Close your eyes for a moment. Take a few breaths and say, thank you, God. Thank you, Divine Mother, for this food. May this food nourish me. May it balance my doshas. May it heal me. And may it guide my, me closer to you. Um, that's a simple thing that we all can do two or three times a day, rather than just grab the food and shovel it down our throat. Recognize that food is divine that this living planet is divine and cultivate a relationship with food because it's coming from her planet and we're living on that planet. And we're also born as a part of this planet. We're born in this womb. And so that's a very practical uh, thing that we can all bring into our lives. I see it today, fast food, people just ordering and shoveling food and then rushing off to the next thing. Right. Um, it's, it's so simple, but yet so practical. The other thing I would say, which is the essence of food, is oil. Oils come from foods. Ayurveda says, rub oil on your body. Rub these medicinal oils on your body. Even if you do that for a few minutes in the morning or a few minutes in the evening before you go to bed, it'll change so much in your wellness, in your circulation, in your sleep, your nervous system. So many things can be affected um, just by the simple practice of rubbing a little oil on your body. Mm. Well, that, that's lovely. And, and I particularly uh, appreciate the, the, the really bringing the sacred, our sacred understanding of, you know, that this is, uh, we are, within God and this food is, you know, coming from God and, you know, to take that moment, just to acknowledge that I think does make a huge difference for people. So thank you for that tip. Yes. So we've come almost to the end. We've got about another minute and I wanted to give you the last word. So in closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners? I'd like to encourage all of you out there that are practicing yoga or maybe even just thinking about practicing yoga or are now maybe a little bit more interested in Ayurveda is to look at them together, to look at yoga and Ayurveda as a unified system, as a living tradition that is in renaissance. It's in revival today because we need it. We're drawn to something more than just this material world. We're, we're all seeking something. We're all seeking this, this love and this the one, right? And I want us to rely on yoga and Ayurveda 
to balance our mind, to balance our body and our relationship with our soul as great gifts, not from one guru, not from a Yogananda or a Vivekananda or Jesus. This is, these are the traditions, these are the living systems, the living sciences of an eternal tradition, Sanatana Dharma, that is alive and thriving both here and in India and in all parts of this world. Mm, and that's really lovely. So thank you so much. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show, and we've been discussing yoga and Ayurveda, a sacred relationship. Our guest has been Masvidal, author of the book we've been discussing today, Sun, Moon, Earth. You can find out more about the book and Moss Vidal's teaching schedule at dancingshiva.com. Thank you so much, Moss Vidal, for joining me today on the Yoga Hour. Thank you. Namaste. Join us next time when our subject will be the gift of gratitude. May McCarthy, author of The Gratitude Formula, will join Yogacharya O'Brien to discuss how the practice of gratitude can support us in achieving success in all aspects of our life. Yogacharya O'Brien continues to travel, and in September and October will be in Italy, Germany, and Southern California. You can find out more about these upcoming events from her speaking schedule on her author website, ellengraceobrien.com. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, regular host, founder, and director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producer, Ann Hayes, CSE's global media outreach manager, Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash IMDivine2022. 